All right, guys, here we are. Here we go. In this episode, we are going to discuss some updates about the coronavirus. We're also going to talk about the raging debate, the debate that is raging about what we should do. Do we leave the economy open? Do we put people back to work or do we stay home and try to ride out this wave? This is the battle of 2020. I also discussed um, what are we going to do to survive? How can the world in the United States survive into the coming years? Thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow me at tstuch.com, T-S-T-U-C-H.com, Twitter, tstuch1. And you can follow me on face on uh, YouTube, Taylor Space Stutch. Thank you. All right, everyone, let's discuss some uh, Shiat today. Everybody knows the situation for the coronavirus is changing all the time. So things are definitely increasing, um, but it, the world, the U.S., is caught up in a conflict. That conflict is how much – what do we do – for the economy to help people with the coronavirus. And there's a huge debate, a huge debate raging online. And it is raging among the experts. It is, it is raging among business people. It is raging among everyone who has any kind of influence. That is, how long do we let the economy suffer for the coronavirus? And it is a very precarious situation we find ourselves in. So for one, the United States today has over 700 and something people that have died from corona. And uh, when I say that, we have gone up really high um, in a short period of time. So we had less than 500. We had a little less than 500 about 24 hours ago. Now – we're at about almost 800. So um, we are going we, – you know, we've lost I think probably around two or 300 people today. And currently our caseload is about 54,000. Uh, now we've had about 378 recover. I predict uh, based on how many people are dying now, we'll probably see an increase in the rate based on everybody else. Based on the way this thing – you know, works in other countries, I imagine we're going to end up seeing somewhere around, um, I imagine we're going to end up seeing probably close to 1,500 people die from the virus by Monday or Tuesday. And I think, for one, New York is in a really bad position. But what else I think is going to happen is we're going to start to see increases in other parts of the country, which you know we're such a big country. You know we could we could hit the two or three thousand death mark in probably like you know I would say probably about two weeks or less. We could hit two or three thousand deaths or more. Um, so currently the U.S. is at fifty-four thousand cases, seven hundred and eighty-two deaths total cases. Not all those are active. We got about fifty-three thousand active ones. Um, then we've got in Italy, they have 69,000 cases, 
and they have 6,800 deaths. That is dub more than double the death rate of China. Makes you wonder about China, huh? How accurate do you think those numbers were coming out of China? Spain is quickly coming, uh, becoming the Chinese situation. 42,000 uh, cases and 2,991 deaths. So Germany's still looking okay, but their rate is climbing and it's going to continue to increase. Uh, they have 32,000 cases, almost 33,000 and about 160 deaths. So their death rate appears to be much lower, but almost all of their cases are still active. You got to remember this. Um, so there is still a, I mean, their rate is going to go up. There's just, there's nothing, you know, that's just what's going to happen. Their rate's going to go up over time. So their death rate, France, 22,000 cases, uh, 1,100 deaths. So in advanced countries, we are seeing a high amount of deaths start to mount from this thing in a short period of time. We're talking about, you know, a thousand people dying in a week on top of any extra whatever the mortality rate might be. At least that's what I think. Now, there are – what I'm finding interesting is the debate right now, like I've said, is between the economy and the virus. There's a lot of people that say, look, we cannot keep the economy closed because of this virus. It's not a workable situation because more people are going to die from that. Now, um, those people – have all kinds of different theories and stuff. Some say that uh, we just can't do it because we just can't let the country suffer because of that. Other people are trying to say, well, look, the death rate is lower than we think because we think the virus is more widespread. Let me first address that one. The virus is more widespread. Therefore, the death rate is much lower. Two things with that. One, a lot of these people don't realize that these are estimates. These are assumptions. There are people that are trying to create models based off of the coronavirus infections, based off of the death rate. And what they're trying to do is for people that don't – you know, this is my understanding. This is what I'm seeing. Um, this is – so I took – as somebody who did uh, – who took economics, I'm familiar with what people uh, – about just models. It, I am not an expert with models. I just know that that's what all these people use. They all use mathematical models in order to do forecasting. And epidemiologists also have models in order to do forecasting. So basically, it's it's like a, a set, it's like equations where you have different variables, and the different variables have different types of uh, ways that they interact with each other throughout the equation. So um, right now. When this thing started, it looks like a lot of people were using a standard flu model uh, to talk about the the coronavirus, which is probably why estimates of like I jumped all over this one bullshit epidemiologist that goes on Twitter by Mook Juice because he was out there saying that you know he was saying that the whole of Europe is going to be much less severe than China, like Western countries are going to be less severe than China and Italy too. Meanwhile, the headline numbers of Italy are many times worse than China. He was way off. Um, and the you know tell, if you follow Taleb and Nassim Taleb and some other people that study you know complex systems, we are in a situation where the people are using flu models to model the coronavirus. 
And people are also trying to make new models, I'm sure. They're trying to make new epidemiological models to model this virus, to predict how many people have it, how many people are going to die. So when you're seeing a lot of these uh, estimates of how many people are maybe are walking around asymptomatic, you got to remember these are based on people running estimates. So people are using models to calculate, you know, okay, how do we get the death rate? How do we get the, um, you know, the number of people that are infected? How are we, you know, they're using all the data we have to build models. They're running those models and they're saying, okay, based on this model, we believe that there are this many undetected cases. So that is how this situation appears to me to be playing out. So one, you got to be careful with that. Um, Another situation is people are basing the the economics the economic one is a precarious one. I totally get it. I don't want our economy or people to be hamstrung or to be controlled by viruses coming out of other places. But we are playing a game of Russian roulette with the entire society, with the entire country, and this is what people don't understand. So when these unknown see when these novel viruses get out, right, where we have no immunity and we don't know anything about the virus, we don't know how deadly it is, we don't know how bad it can be, when these viruses get out and they start spreading uncontrolled, each time we do that, we're playing a game. The, this, is, this is my interpretation of this situation. We're playing a game. It's like Russian roulette. We have a gun loaded to our head. And one of the chambers has a bullet. Uh, like, you know, if you look at it like a six shooter, like a revolver. Every time we have one of these uh, novel viruses that breaks out that we don't know much about and starts spreading wildly, we are playing a game of luck. We're pulling the trigger, and we're sa- every time we don't do a hard lockdown of some kind or hard social separation of some kind, and we just let it spread. We are pulling the trigger, and then afterwards, after we pull the trigger, we're saying, ah, we didn't die this time, so we're okay. We're okay. People that are saying with the coronavirus, look, we need to collect more data, and people that are saying uh, – people that are saying we need to collect more data and people that are saying that um, it, that look at these past ones that weren't so bad, what they're saying is we have to pull the trigger first. And if it's not so bad and we don't die, then it's okay. Then we're all fine. Now, the reason people say that is because in our recent memory, when we've pulled the trigger, we haven't been – it hasn't been so devastating. It's been okay. Um, Or it's been pretty bad, but it hasn't been like the big one. So the reason I say that is because The reason I compare this to a revolver, a a revolver to the collective heads of humanity is simple because if we have a virus that kills, you know, people were talking about how we've got bird flus that can kill like, that have a kill rate of like 40, 50%. Well, if a bird flu or something breaks out and we don't know much about it and we are waiting to collect data before we um, separate, before we close things down, then it's already too late. We've already pulled the trigger. We've already already let it spread. Many, many people are going to die. 
it's going to be extremely devastating. And a lot of people don't realize that you, a lot of people will be like, look, it's only two or 3% with this virus. But it's like, look, you have one in 50 people that get infected die in a highly infectious disease. Or if you have, you know, one in 25, or if you have um, even more, if you've got like one in 10 people dying from a, a disease that's just spreading unchecked, you're going to have economic devastation because people are going to, one, you're going to have lots of important people die. At the heads of companies, um, you're going to have lots of Im- important logistical problems that are not going to be that are going to be really bad. Uh, people are not going to want to operate. People are not going to voluntarily go to work when they know several coworkers that have just died of a disease. And so people got to realize that, like that's one thing that's very that could happen with this virus, okay? But with a more deadly virus, if we keep playing this game of let's wait and see what the death rate is, then we will eventually, we will eventually run into a situation where it, where it just destroys, it just runs through the society and kills lots and lots of people. That's what we're probably going to see. Um, and that's what I am seeing coming out of the pro-econ argument about this, is people are going to that seems to be the consensus. Is like, hey, let's not change the fragile economy that we have. Let's maintain our fragile interconnections to China and the rest of the world, and let's continue this society of highly leveraged households and companies where nobody can afford to stop working for three weeks in order to solve a pandemic. Okay, let's stop there for a uh, quick break. I'll be right back. Okay, guys, let's continue this talk about the economy. So our economy is extremely fragile, and people should realize this right now. Um, and I know a lot of people might not understand, but the reason why people are arguing about the economic side of this, which it makes – here's the thing. I'm not dismissing the economic side of it. All I'm saying is that if we continue down this path of collective Russian roulette, one day we're going to lose. And it's not just going to be um, a few thousand people that die. It's going to be several million people that die. It's going to be another Spanish flu. We're going to have another situation like that if every time we have a novel virus come through, we say, no, 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 don't stop going to work. We need to collect the data. We need the economy to run. But it's really a testament to how fragile we are as a society, as a country, as an economy. That we cannot afford – people don't have enough savings. People don't have enough supplies. People don't have enough grit to stay home for three weeks and say, OK, everybody stop for three weeks. Get you know, Make sure you've got food, water, supplies. We'll have military handout things if necessary. But everybody, let's stay home for three weeks. Let's get this shit knocked out. If we can do that collectively, we could knock out – we could really, really mitigate um, it, you know, major effects of a virus is what people are you – know, that's what these complexity people are talking about. And um, these are people that I trust more than the fucking retarded economists and people that are running these epidemiological models that don't you – know, that are um, – have been wrong the whole time. So here's the thing. People, it appears to me that we are not willing to change our economy. 
people do not want to make a change. People do not want to admit that we are in a very bad situation where if faced with a potential extinction level pandemic, people are going to choose to go to work because they don't want the economy to falter as opposed to shelter in place for three weeks, let things pass, reduce the number of deaths, reduce the the burden on the hospitals, reduce the burden on the economy. Instead, we're going to let it burn through. So here's what I think. If you are somebody who is worried about the situation, um, for one, if the if this is important, if if the United States does not make a change, if we do not make a change to our economy where people become more self-sufficient, we're fucked. So here's what I would say to anybody that's curious about, well, what do we do going forward? What do we do going forward? This is what I think. As an individual, everybody needs to become more self-sufficient. So for one, on the the most basic side, that means we have to save more money. We have to save more fucking money. If you are an individual, if you are a business, no matter if you're a family, you have to have money in the bank because you cannot afford what I mean, what do you do when this pandemic breaks out? When you don't have any money, you have a family and you say, "Up, oh, got to go to work. I got to go to work." because I got to provide for my family and we have no savings. Okay, so you go to work. What happens when you get a deadly disease, bring it back to your family, wipe out your family? Is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to do? Because I don't think you want to do that. So everybody needs to have more savings. Everybody needs to have more savings. And what else people need to do is is have backup supplies. So even if you don't have savings... You can still survive in a tri- in a uh, extreme situation without having to rely on cash coming in. If you have backup supplies of water, food, and essentials, you could get through really, really rough times. You could do it. So those are the two basic things right off the bat that everyone could do. Okay, one, start your emergency savings fund. You got to do it. Everyone needs to have savings. Number two, everyone needs to have everyone now needs to have a pandemic backup kit. It is now obvious that everyone needs a pandemic disaster kit. You cannot be in the modern interconnected world and not have a pandemic backup kit. Because hey, we could have a virus come out of some random part of China, of Asia, of South America, of Africa, hell, even somewhere here in the United States, and just ravage the world in a matter of weeks because of international travel. Because it looks like people want to go back to business as usual. That's what everyone wants to do. No one wants to uh, change the economy. looks like it's going to be business as usual. That seems to be where we're going to go back to. And so you should be prepared for uh, for the big one. Everyone should be prepared for the big one. All right. Um, now, what do we... Okay, so that is the place we find ourselves in today. Is Oh, the next case would be self-sufficiency. Is food, being able to have your own food. So I am production. I'm looking at two things to start experimenting with myself. There are uh, there are things you can buy online that you could start growing um, things indoors. You could grow like herbs, vegetables, things like that indoors. 
I'm looking at that. Self-sufficiency. Um, and also 3D printing. So not only could you start your own kind of business with 3D printing, but would it be it would be a good idea to be able to make certain things in a crisis um, that uh, or in a tough situation that you can't make now, or just to be more self-sufficient in general. So I think that people need to start looking at self-sufficiency gains. Everyone should probably have some kind of garden. Everyone should be able to uh, produce some amount of food. Everyone should have backup water. Everyone should have backup supplies because the next time we have a big pandemic sweep through the country and the world, everyone needs to realize we do not have a plan. The United States does not have a plan to deal with a pandemic. Our plan is, is to save the economy, the short-term economy, at the expense of the long-term civilization. Now, you might say, well, Taylor, what about freedom? Well, guess what? We need to understand that we already don't have the freedom we thought. Because we are dependent on other countries for all of our shit, like China, uh, in order to produce so much of our stuff, we are already not free. We already don't have a decision. We already don't have a choice, and we're learning that now. We're just figuring that out. If you don't have self-sufficiency... In this current world economy, you don't you don't have freedom. You don't have the ability to do what you want to do because when something major happens, you're now at the mercy of other countries. We are now at the mercy of bureaucrats who want to keep the borders open because that is how our world economy is. Everyone is so interconnected and rel- reliant upon everybody else that no one has freedom anymore. No one has freedom of action because everything's so tied in. So if we want more freedom, if we want to be able to save ourselves long term, I really think we're going to have to look at a, uh, a more self-sufficient model for individuals, for cities and countries. That's all I got for today. You can follow me at tstuch.com, T-S-T-U-C-H.com. Um, you can uh, follow me on my Twitter, tstuch1. Go to my YouTube, Taylor Space Dutch. And uh, if you haven't listened to War Room or uh, War Room Pandemic by Steve Bannon, you're missing out. Good stuff there.